0: And at the end of the day, sometimes you don't get the all stars. And so there was a nurse that was really struggling and before he would have yelled, but he stepped back from the field and said to her, all he could see was his eyes capped math. She's, he said, I know this is difficult. It's hard on me and it's hard on you, but we'll get, it. we'll get through this. And he just, he leaned forward at the table with me and said, Carl, you wouldn't believe it. You, you could see her eyes relax. And Carl, she actually sped up after that.
1: Welcome to Medical Money Matters, the podcast where you can find experts, answers and resources so that you can achieve mastery over the financial and business aspects of your practice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Medical Money Matters. With me today is Carl Pister, who is a longtime healthcare executive coach who works with healthcare leaders and physicians in the community, both on talent development and also at times when professionals need a little bit of a helping hand. So, Carl, welcome. Thanks for being here today.
0: Thank you so much. Delighted to be with you.
1: All right. Well, I am so fascinated by the whole notion of an executive coach. And I would love to hear how you talk about why a physician leader might want to engage a coach.
0: Atul Gawande wrote a marvelous article back in 2011 um, in the New Yorker magazine. And the title is Why I Use a Coach. And he notes that most high achievers be it music be it athletics use a coach not necessarily to do basic skill development but skill development at a higher level Mm -hmm. he talks about himself using a coach to help his surgical style uh observing him in the or and so any time that a leader is wanting to get better. It's usually good to have someone by the side helping him or her see those things that probably are missed because we rarely see ourselves accurately.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. I love Atul Gawande's work. And I know in many of his works, he references the work with his coach and um, how and I always had to smile because I consider him to be a professional at the top of his game, right? That's, uh, um, yeah, and very thoughtful with it too. And if I recall, at least one of the one of his books I read, and perhaps the use of the coach led to the checklist manifesto. Um, but uh, his um, description of it and the fact that he had measurably better outcomes after <laughs> using the coach. Including including having his like infection rates Mm -hmm. go down and all of that. Um, Again, that was uh, I I thought a great example of um, humility in a leader as well. um, Given well, absolutely, Yeah. yeah, it's wonderful. Well, thinking a little bit about humility brings me to this notion of emotional intelligence, and you talk about that on your website. So, I would love to hear you reflect on how you see emotional intelligence and its impact on a leader.
0: And we have three hours to answer yes, this question? exactly. <laughs> oh. We'll be um, here. <laughs> many times, hyper-smart people have climbed the ladder of accomplishment just on their own. Mm-hmm. They are the top of the class. They get the top in the M- the SAT. In high school, they get that top MCAT score. They are recruited left and right by the Harvard, Stanford's, John Hopkins of the world. And then they hit a level where they're no longer an individual performer. Mm-hmm. And then they have to work with people. And they haven't had any training for that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, because they're so smart many times they've been given the get out of jail free card by well jane is yeah jane's a little awkward but you know she is so smart her math scores are perfect and jane goes up the ladder and then suddenly she's asked to be a section head of Mm -hmm. her surgery department and i just i recently had a case um this woman is brilliant and she has no filter. Ah. And so sometimes when a brilliant person shares insights without a filter, um, people walk away not feeling enlightened, but feeling like they've been run over by a D9 caterpillar tractor. Yeah. <laughs> and so, literally, emotional intelligence has some key platforms self awareness, awareness of others, uh, emotional reasoning being able to manage in crisis and being able to lead positively Mm -hmm. and any any exercise in the emotional intelligence arena needs to give the person a framework so when they're in a setting that they don't feel like they're swimming in quicksand Mm -hmm. but they can ask themselves some key questions how am i presenting have i listened well have I connected with the person? Do I know the emotion underneath? Do I know the story underneath what might seem like a really harsh stand? When someone's done a great job, do I take the time to acknowledge that even in a busy surgical environment? Mm-hmm. Um, just small things. The platform I use has, under those six areas, has, have seven reference points that a client can go to when they're stuck and we can do that in the coaching or they can do that on their own. Mm-hmm. But I I think it's Maya Angelou. She may not have been the original uh, author to this phrase, but I'm sure you've heard it, Jill. People don't care what you... They won't remember what you've done, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Exactly. You know, I, I just butchered a beautiful quote. But... I think as leaders, sometimes people forget that they are dealing with humans Mm -hmm. and these humans are the ones that will carry out the strategy or the good surgery. And even though you had a good huddle before the surgery, if suddenly the surgeon then turns into Jekyll and Hyde um, and yell, and I've heard people say, well, I needed to yell at her. I needed her to do better. Mm. And it's, oh my goodness. No, by yelling at her, right. you picked in the fight or flight, which shut down her creative brain, which disallowed any improvement. You yeah. biologically shut that person down. Yeah. And so, what I find encouraging with coaching, I'm working with such hyper smart individuals That's that great. when they can see the logic and the payoff mm-hmm. to some of these thinking changes, That it just, I had one surgeon who sadly was at the very end of his career ask me once, why didn't anyone teach me this sooner? Mm
1: -hmm. Because he
0: saw the payoff.
1: Right, right. He,
0: He told me the story he had, he was a cancer surgeon, they were in the midst of a very difficult surgery and just due to hospital, you know, he was now on his third shift change in this hospital. Wow. in the surgery wow and at the end of the day sometimes you don't get the all-stars and so there was a nurse that was really struggling and before he would have yelled but he stepped back from the field and said to her all he could see was his eyes capped mouth mm-hmm. she's he said i know this is difficult it's hard on me and it's hard on you but we'll get it we'll get through this wow. and he just he leaned forward at the table with me and said carl you wouldn't believe it you you could see her eyes relaxed and carl she actually sped up after that wow so okay. story after story about yeah. smart people learning it's just a new language mm-hmm. they don't have to change because sometimes the physicians will say well Cause I work with a lot that are in their fifties and sixties and they'll be telling me, well, I'm not going to change. I can't change. I am who I am. And the response to that is, I completely agree. What we're doing though, is teaching you a new language.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And when to use this language and when to use the other one.
1: That's far more accessible. I imagine. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And you just can see their defensive level drop.
1: Exactly, like not yelling at the nurse in the OR. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yep. Oh, wow, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a book that needs to be written from all the stories that you have from clients. <laughs>
0: oh, and I think one aspect that would help coaching so much is if those that have benefited from coaching, because I've had I've done this when I could be assured that confidentiality and Uh, the right procedures were in place. I've had one of my docs phone, one of the newer ones that was kind of reluctant to get into coaching because coaching still has a stigma of, well, you've done something bad or you wouldn't be getting a coach. And he said, Carl, if I can ever help someone, you know, get on this coaching path, let me know. And after clearing, again, all the confidentiality stuff, he did. And it was just, oh, okay, so this could work. Great. Yeah. So to get the message out there that an organization is investing in this improvement path.
1: Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to it's a, you know, recovery from something bad that you've done. Rather, it can be an investment in you as a leader going forward. Absolutely. Um, Oh, that's wonderful. It's, um, it is, it is amazing to me that there is still, as you say, that stigma out there um, around a lot of things. And I've had a lot of conversations with physicians about the shame culture that we still have in medical school. I keep asking the young medical students when I meet them, or, you know, have, have we, have we done some work to reduce that a little bit, but there's this, you need, you need to have the knowledge and you need to be at the top of your class. And um, yeah, that's uh, I think there's, there's still work to do. Um, (laughs) To have people coming up in a place where it's, it's not only okay, but it's encouraged um, to improve your performance and however you do that. You know, that's Absolutely. Um, but your, your comment earlier about the many of the people who are successful coming up as, as an individual producer is a great one. Um, and that leads me to a question around um, when you first meet with a clinician who has been successful as that individual producer and now is then been being asked to lead something and is finding it challenging. What are some of the ways in which you work with those folks?
0: Most highly successful people have arrived at that level because they're known as doers. Mm-hmm. Give it to Jane. Jane will always get it done. Give it to John. He's amazing guys he just works 24/7 it's great and so they're still in there what have I done today I've got to check off the box and when they're introduced to the simple concept and I've just got a chuckle of listening and it's it's almost okay and after I listen what <laughs> well, let's get listening down first and then i think most of the other answers will come Mm -hmm. and so literally one of the first skills that a physician that's moving into leadership has to do is be able to put the brakes on that hyper smart mind Mm -hmm. in order to find out what the people around the table are thinking I had a medical director, just a great guy, um, superb physician, and he was an internist. And he said, Carl, the very things that make me a great doctor make me a lousy leader.
1: Wow. Okay. that's some
0: insight. Yeah. He, he's coming in. He's running a clinical day. He has 35 visits that day on his schedule. A lot. Yeah. 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 He's running, well, eight hours at 15 minutes each. Yep. yep. And so his job is to, Carl, the patient, is to get in, make some connection fast, but drill down immediately, ask me a lot of questions, formulate a diagnosis, and get me done maximum 20 minutes, and now I'm already five minutes behind. Right. Right. And now in my new team leader role, I'm sitting in front of a two-hour meeting and I start in, got to drive it, got to drive it, got to drive it instead of, Mm -hmm. Jill, what do you think about this? And Jane, what's your view on this? Mm -hmm. And to learn that the worst thing he can do, um, using the example of this medical director, is give his opinion soon. Because in the world of medical hierarchy, once the doctor has spoken, we just kind of fall in behind the diagnosis, even though we're not diagnosing anything because there's no patient. There's just eight people on his team that are looking at him, wondering how he's going to lead. So the very first thing, let's just spend a little time as you take over this team, finding out where they want to go. Finding out what each of them runs well off of, because Mm -hmm. generally, and I may be throwing myself under the bus here, but I don't think I'm unique. When I sit down with Jill and with Dr. Wright, it is my thinking that generally we're all on the same page. We're about the same age. We're about the same experience. So what Carl's thinking probably is what Jill's thinking, you know, it's not that far off. And... Dr. Wright, known him for nearly 20 years. I know him well. probably. And what a fatal assumption. <laughs> <Yes>. Because <clears throat> we might agree on X, but we're talking about Y. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet all it takes is Carl, the new leader, to say, you know, I'm new in this chair. And I'd love to know, Jill, what are your thoughts on X? Mm-hmm. And then take really good notes. Steve Covey talked about this 40 years ago in um, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Seek first to understand, then be understood.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, and funny, because we all knew it 40 years ago, right? And how, how often do we take good advice? There's a
0: <laughs> and I think in the simplicity, we sometimes trip ourselves up. As a good leader, I must be doing, yeah, there's lots of must-be's, mm-hmm. but unless my team knows I listen to them? Yeah. Yeah. Andy Stanley's a real famous podcaster, and he has a great phrase, those that choose not to listen will soon find themselves surrounded by people who have nothing to say. Yes, and that always yeah. makes me squirm in my seat. Remember
1: what is- you attract, right? Yes. <laughs>
0: oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Oh, that's it. yes. That that I'm actually sitting here having my own squirm moment with that one. A, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I love I love the notion of listening. That's a, my my old joke is yeah, two ears, one mouth. Use them proportionately. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> absolutely. and it is it is rather amazing that we are continuously we've built this system and I use the the big community. We we've built the system in this way that doctors see patients and it it thoroughly discourages learning or listening. Um, It just you know, there's there's just no time built yep. in for that. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And we see those, you know, statistics that are kind of frightening about it's measured in minutes, how long the physician generally listens to the patient before they interrupt. And, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, but we could have, a, we could have a much longer conversation about that sort of overarching, um, concept, oh, yes. how we do, how we do patient care in the U.S. Um, that's we'll we'll save that for another podcast. that's a whole other one um, so thinking about your leaders that you coach um, I'm sure you have some that come to you after they've gotten some constructive feedback, which is the polite speak for negative feedback or some behavior they need to change and sometimes they need to change it pretty quickly. How do you coach those people when they come?
0: Great question um. Our research would indicate, and Gallup has done phenomenal research on this for decades, and they've come up w- with what this is called, you've probably heard about this, the strength finder model. Mm-hmm. Um, we have found that it is best to deal with constructive feedback, i.e. you're messing this up, but we'll put in a eu- euphemism for <laughs> constructive.
1: So
0: exactly. Doctor, you really need to get this better, and so she comes to me with the, with the feedback. Um, even the smartest of people can get beat down pretty fast. Mm-hmm. And so here's a surgeon. She is an ace. She is a cancer surgeon. She is just phenomenal. And she's got some feedback, and this is back to my other example, that she can run over people really fast in a meeting hmm and this really upset her because she thought she was just being straightforward So know. what we did was make sure that we got other feedback and I knew enough about her to know that um, She has one of the most tender hearts on the planet um, She will go extra mile to help people she will room a patient herself if her MA is busy mm-hmm. So the first thing is to find what they do well. And sometimes the person is a little put off because, but Carl, I've been criticized on this. Great. We will deal with that. I promise you. But let's look at what you do really well. And what values do those tie to? What abilities, what experiences, what stories can you tell me about those? And then we weave in what needs to improve on the traction they already have and the reputation they already have of being superb in other areas. And again, what I don't care how smart a person is, there still is that feeling inside of, did I mess up yet again? Mm -hmm. And so I think a coach needs to be. A strong advocate for their client in acknowledging yes we really have to work on this and let's tie it in to what you do well yeah yeah. and that I've just seen I had one neurosurgeon stand up at the end of maybe our second interview and he gotten beat up pretty bad and he just took me you know gently and appropriately by the shoulder and said Carl you've got to believe i'm not a bad guy Mm -hmm. and it just it was kind of oh because his um his chief of surgery was telling me some of this person's abilities brilliant surgeon yes absolutely best guy you'd want opening up your skull and yet at certain points as his chief of surgery said this this doctor is superb 98 percent of the time and blows himself up in the other two yep.
1: Yep.
0: so he came in saying carl i got to change the two yes and let's leverage it off the 98. Yeah. Yeah. let's do some strategic changing here in the 98 mm-hmm. so that the two disappears you won't need the two when you do the 98. right right and you just can see them thinking oh so this isn't the mec this isn't the uh, medical board right this is an. this is a chance to really get some skill development in a very positive environment yeah, yeah. <clears throat> now there are times when the feedback is so severe that as a coach you do need to join the chorus of severity and help them know that this really isn't optional Because if this happens again, their history at hospital X, because the MEC will, I have been told, and I always get permission, can I share this? Did you realize, doctor, that if this occurs again, your privileges are gone at this hospital? And it's, there's been some times where I've heard, no, they never told me, but generally the eyes go down and you understand that. Okay. So that's understood. Now let's go back to the 98 and two again
1: yeah yeah.
0: and sometimes it's 50 50 and sometimes it's 20 80. (laughs) Um, and you
1: go to whatever the good parts are let's work from there yeah yeah exactly
0: because if they're aware of their they're aware they might be defensive but they're aware
1: yeah
0: so again we don't ignore the input but let's use what traction we have to weave in the improvement with the solid what they have going for them yes
1: yes well and i'm glad you mentioned strength finder too i love that tool um mm-hmm. in fact we use it with our whole team and we publish the grid where with everybody and their strengths so <coughs> it, it helps your coworkers sometimes if they're you know, driving you a little nutty, you can go back to that and say, oh, well, they're really good at this, this, and this. And uh, those don't happen to be my strengths. So maybe I really need them. Um, I mean,
0: on just a quick tangent there, Jill. Um, I was working with a nursing team in an ER environment. And we actually, it's the only time I've done it, but it worked really well. We got all 34. And we focused top five, bottom five. And it was so enlightening to see what the bottom was and how that could be brought up by emphasis on the top five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fairly revealing because sometimes people look at Strength Finder and think, oh, it's just one step up from a horoscope. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, it, there's only 75 questions. It only took okay. me 15 minutes. Come on.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> And then they look at all 34 and they realize the Gallup organization absolutely knows what they're doing
1: Yes. with
0: this strength finder. Very Be- well
1: researched.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't run from that one.
1: Yeah. Well, I was really excited to, to get mine done the first time I had finished the whole survey. And I was speaking with my mother a little later and I was telling her, Just use this exciting tool and named off the top five. And there's this pause and she said, well, I could have told you that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mom. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's great. Saved you the uh, $15 for the book and the 30 minutes online. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) We've actually, actually just used StrengthsFinder recently with a couple of senior physicians who'd been in practice together for more than 20 years, um inside of a larger group and they had been really instrumental the two of them in building this group and they had come to a complete conflict over something that occurred in one of their board meetings and the administrator called and i said great we can come in and start having some conversation and that was one of the things we did was to give each of them strengths finders and then ask them to share their strengths with each other yeah. and um, that was a very nice way to you know begin great idea which yeah yeah, and really to start like like you do, start the conversation with what's working and where you have traction. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so um, I love I love that as a tool. And I, one of our earlier episodes, we went through several of them, and StrengthsFinder is one of my one of my favorites. And I hadn't prior to that engagement, I hadn't really thought to use it in a situation of high conflict, but it really did. It helped just reset the conversation, you know, and yep. remind them of why they've been partners for so long and all the, all the things that work. So, yeah, um, I was curious again, looking at your website, one of the things that you offer in the community is a mastermind group. And I've Mm -hmm. become more fascinated with that notion over the last few years. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the construct of that and why you would encourage leaders to have a mastermind group.
0: Oh, love that question. Um, Brief history on the mastermind. It was formulated originally, as I understand it. This comes from the writing of Napoleon Hill in his book, Mm -hmm. The Law of Success. Uh, He was commissioned by Carnegie to talk to the top industrial minds of the last century. So we're probably looking at about 110 years ago. Mm -hmm. And Wrigley, as I understand it, was the one that adopted this, where he brought in great minds around him contrarian minds and agreeable minds Mm -hmm. that would help him think into problems. Fast forward this decades and now what we find and a good colleague and I run these mastermind groups a couple of times a year, bringing people together, usually in groups of around nine to 12. Mm -hmm. And it's a confidential environment and people can talk about any challenges they're having in the workplace and get And it's funny that the my co-facilitator shandy welch and myself um we always brainstorm you know what are we going to teach in case there's no issues brought up and we've done this i think we're in our fifth group now Mm -hmm. And we've never had to use our backup plan. Never
1: actually had to use the material. I love
0: that. I ran one group at a hospital of nurse managers. And the goal was the nursing director wanted us to go through a book and wanted the mastermind to facilitate that. And so I went through and I had curriculum set up every two weeks, you know, a chapter to die. I I was wired and ready to go. (laughs) And at the end of six months, Jill, I think we were on chapter three.
1: Because, <laughs> Great progress.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because the people, the, the consensus was, Carl, we can read the book on our own. But we never, we met 90 minutes a time twice a month. Okay. And we studied the book a bit. And then they would bring in issues they wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Well, the issues they wanted to talk about were much more pressing than the book. And so the book kind of got shoved to the side. And it was just so amazing what this group did over the six months.
1: Right.
0: Um, mm-hmm. And I think the culmination was on one of our final meetings. We Again, we had our agenda we're ready to go and one of the people came in late and she was just ashen and she had just come from the er with a very very difficult situation and i was a facilitator uh, leading the group and to see them i just stepped back and to see that group pull around this woman and walk her through exactly what she needed to be walked through and the confidence level of the the group was so high that there was no hedging on the seriousness they read her like a book and she the trust over the six months had grown to a degree that she could open up about the horror that she had just been through and to see for those 90 minutes those team members come around this person and just walk her through a very traumatic event. Switching to another group, uh, this was a very eclectic group. We had um, healthcare, we had industry, <clears throat> and we had a CEO in the mix. Mm-hmm. And he was the only CEO. <clears throat> and he ran North and South America for his european-based operation okay multi hundred million dollars of budget and the other members of the group were very smart but nowhere near his executive level and so i was a bit concerned about that but this guy was a great learner and Mm -hmm. so on one of our meetings he said carl i don't want to preempt anything here but I'm in a really tight situation. I fly to Europe tomorrow and I'd like some input. And I'm thinking, who he's meeting a billion dollar board. And if I use the name, you'd instantly recognize the company. So I won't, Mm -hmm. but these are big players in industry.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm thinking, okay. Um, (laughs) So he brings it up. And for the next hour, this group completely set him up for success Beautiful. just because they listened. These were smart individuals. They did not have his level of CEO experience, but they had human experience mm-hmm. and they had p- person to person experience that he did not. Mm. And he came back on the next meeting, and this is a guy, he's ex-military, he's, he's rough and tumble. Yeah. And with emotion in his voice, could not thank the group enough for a very successful meeting. It didn't go the way he thought it should, but it was successful. And he left with some new insights that were key for him. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't have done it if it hadn't been for that group. Yeah. So two examples and we keep having repeat people come back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, and we always ask, Why'd you come back? And it's the comment is I don't get this in any other place. Yep. Confidential complete you've got seven eight nine other experts mm-hmm. around the table that may not in the ceo example not at that level necessarily mm-hmm. but <clears throat> with expert experience in other realms and i it just never fails yeah our only problem is our four thirty stop time we usually run from 3 to 4 30 and people are still talking and they've got to go to other places.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <clears throat> I love Mastermind.
1: That's that's so great. That's the sign of a good party when people don't want to leave. That's, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, that's – that's I love the example. Thank you, both of the examples. I've been um, blessed to be involved in a group that wasn't set up as a Mastermind group originally, but we've been meeting monthly for about 10 years. And um, very stable membership. We're very selective. They're all um, – Leaders in healthcare adjacent businesses. And um, it's been beautiful and a huge contribution to my business and my career over the last 10 years. And um, I I continue to think about setting up others that I just, I'm a little confronted like, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to replicate the magic that I already have over there. So. I, I continue on, but, uh, that group's actually becoming a professional, like a, a not-for-profit association. Like it's getting really efficient. Awesome. But, um, yes. And it's, it, that is a, I, I like to say it's a butcher, a baker and a candlestick maker. There's an attorney and an accountant and an architect and, 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 um, all people who are senior leaders with lots of great experience. Like you described your group that, uh, um, was working with your CEO in the mastermind. Um, and they do, they come up with some very creative yes. thoughts that are just completely out of the box for me, but they they have different perspective. And it's so, so valuable.
0: Um, well, speaking of different perspective, I was at a healthcare conference in September and we had the senior vice president for um, personnel at Common Spirit out of Denver, mm-hmm. uh, Sebastian Girard brilliant presenter and talking about a different perspective. He talks, talked about a program NASA has where they bring in high school seniors once a year to talk about their, their most difficult situations. Here's a NASA engineer describing to a high school senior. Now these are Brainiac seniors, you know, Grant. Yeah. Yeah and why do they do this because there's such a newness Hmm. that some crazy ideas can come up and his point was that they solve at least one of these problems every year because this butcher baker candlestick maker high school senior comes in with a well have you thought about this this yeah and you know here's this I use the word probably too much, brainiac NASA engineer who's responsible for getting people to Mars and back <laughs> saying we'd never thought of that.
1: Never thought of that.
0: Yeah. There's... So it's a myopia that sometimes we have in our professional silos.
1: Yeah. I like that notion. I, I talk about the power of naivete sometimes that you yeah. you come in and everyone who's new to our organization is welcomed. And I say, please. Open your mouth a lot. Like tell us what you see that's yep. different. Tell us what you've learned from other places because you, you haven't yet be, been drinking the Kool Aid here, you know. And yeah, yep. you, you haven't developed that myopia um, around how we do things and how we think about things. So
0: I I, love I that. think um, it's in his book um, Hardwiring Excellence, but Quint Studer mm-hmm. uh, talks that one of the most overlooked interviews in American industry and especially in healthcare is the entrance interview we exit interview yeah but it gets to your point what did you do in your last place why did you do it what are we doing that's good what are you doing what are we doing that you're thinking why are they doing this right Right. and harvest and i love the point before they get indoctrinated kool-aid wise into the present boy what a great concept
1: yeah yeah oh i i love Quint studer's work too i'm a fan yeah He's, um, I, I just read his book, The Calling, um, his most recent one, what a beautiful yeah. collection of stories um, about um, people people in healthcare and effectively saying, you know, it really, uh, thankfully for all of us who as patients, it is a calling. It is still a calling mm-hmm. for many, many people in healthcare and what a noble profession it is. And I love to hear yep. it described mm-hmm. that way. That's wonderful. well, as a wrap-up question, I think you and I could literally talk all day. I think as a, as a wrap-up question, I would love to ask you to just reflect on what advice you would give to a physician who is an aspiring leader in their group.
0: Great question. Lots of different directions on that.. <clears throat> But I think it was John Maxwell who said, you cannot lead well unless you can lead yourself well. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would again, please, please take the time to take yourself apart a bit and see what makes you go. What are your values? Maxwell asked, what makes you cry? What makes you laugh? what makes you dream and you might think oh please could we cut the fluff (laughs) but those are three things um what do you get excited about how do you come across with that what are your values uh because values are what drive thought thought drives feelings feelings drive behavior so unless you know your hard drive and a lot of people don't um Carl Jung had this great quote, until you make the conscious unconscious. Let me flip that. Until you make the unconscious conscious, Mm -hmm. it will direct your life and you will call it fate. So uh, aspiring leader, you've spent 35, 40 years, 20 years of an adult life forming stories forming narratives forming opinions all based on deeply held values so identifying those and knowing how those make you run when do they make you upset when do they make you angry so you have to know that and then to know human psychology enough to be able to listen well. Get well versed in some of the classics on leadership. Um, one of my favorites is um, the Leadership Challenge by Posner and Kuznis. Okay. It's required reading for upper level at Intel. Mm-hmm. They talk about the five basic areas of leadership. I would definitely get a copy of that book. Yeah. I would immerse myself in good leadership writings from McKinsey, from Harvard Business Review. Uh, make yourself a learning leader. Mm-hmm. You can't inspire people unless you're getting inspired yourself. And you can't inspire others unless that inspiration in yourself is an ongoing personal development plan. Mm-hmm and that's where i think good coaching comes in or good mentoring if you're part of an organization that truly has people dedicated set aside time every couple of weeks to pull you aside and say jill how's it going where how's what are you struggling with what can i who can i connect you to A good coach will do that. A good mentor should do that. So know yourself, know your values, be a learning leader, have a personal development plan. um, And then, like we mentioned earlier, become a fanatic of listening. Uh, Lou Gerstner took over back in, I think it was 92. Uh, IBM was dying and they brought in a uh, gerstner from rjr reynolds mm-hmm. and his joke was i don't do tech in my last job i sold biscuits and cigarettes yes yeah. <laughs> because people asked him gerstner what's what's your view what's your vision for ibm mm-hmm. he says i have no idea i need to i need to find out what our vision is mm-hmm. in the first year he flew over four hundred thousand miles on the corporate jet going all around the world listening mm. and he would cut people off when they were going into corporate speak said no i i want to really know he sent an electric shock through the corporation because back in those days they used overhead projectors and you didn't speak at ibm unless as they called him your foils were perfect yeah. about two two foils in to the first presentation He stood up and put his hand on the projector and turned it off. And he said, I want to hear what you're thinking. And it went worldwide overnight. He he wrote a book about it, Who Says Elephants Can't Dance. Uh, Speaking about this monolith of IBM that completely changed because he listened, he chose the right people, and he led brilliantly because he knew who what he was about yeah and he knew emotional intelligence well mm-hmm. and it's one of those things jill if you and i had bought ibm stock in about 2001 we may not even be talking
1: today we might be retired yeah <laughs> Oh, I love it. well that that was a fantastic synopsis. Thank you for that. You and thank you for the time today and just sharing your experience and your wisdom and all of the specifics with our audience. Much appreciated.
0: Well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's the leadership path is one as you're aware, that never ends and is so incredibly rewarding. When someone comes back to you, Jill, 10 years from now and says, you probably don't remember this, but. And they share with you something that you did for them. A door you opened, a time you listened, a time you guided, a time you just asked good questions. And that's when you start to realize the all-encompassing nature of leadership and how a coach can really help guide at some early stages.
1: Absolutely. Thank you again, Carl.
0: So Absolutely. Great. My pleasure.
1: All right. You can find more information online at medicalmoneymatterspodcast.com. And you can also find examples in my book, Physician Heal Thy Financial Self, which is available on Amazon. We've included those links in the show notes. As I like to close out these podcasts, congratulations on taking the next step in your professional development and for making the commitment to learn about the financial and business aspects of your practice. I look forward to being on this journey with you, and I send you my heartfelt gratitude for all that you do for your patients all day, every day.